हेलो एवरीवन सो हियर इज रोजमरी बेबी पार्ट वन चैप्टर नाइन आई होप यू आर गोइंग टू लाइक इट सो लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड चैप्टर नाइन ही इट्स आफ्टर नाइन गाय सेट शेकिंग हर शोल्डर शी पुस्ट हिज हैंड अवे एंड टर्न ओवर ऑन टू हर स्टमक फाइव मिनट्स शी सेट डीप इन द पिलो नो ही सेट एंड जेंट हर हेयर आई हैव गोट टू बी एट डोमिनिक्स एट टेन इट आउट The hell I will he slept her behind through the blanket everything came back <clears throat> the dreams the drinks minnie's chocolate mousse the pop that awful moment of not dreaming she turned back over and raised herself on her arms looking at guy he was lighting a cigarette sleep rumpled needing a shave he had pajamas on she was nude what time is it she asked 10 after 9 What time did I go to sleep? She sat up. About eight thirty, he said. And you did not go to sleep, honey. You passed out. From now, you can get cocktails or wine. Not cocktails and wine. You will only get one thing. The dreams I had, she said, rubbing her forehead and closing her eyes. President Kennedy, the Pope, Minnie, and Roman. She opened her eyes and saw scratches on her left breast. two parallel hair lines of red running down into the nipple her thighs stung she pushed the blanket from them and some more scratches seven or eight going this way and that don't yell guy said i already filled them down he showed sore smooth fingernails rosemary looked at him uncomprehendingly i do not want to miss baby night he said you mean you and a couple of my nails were ragged while i was out He nodded and grinned. It was kind of fun, he said in a necrophile sort of way. She looked away, her hands pulling the blanket back over her thighs. I dreamed someone was raping me, she said. I don't know who, someone unhuman, who is not human. Thanks a lot, Guy said. You were there and Minnie and Roman, other people. It was some kind of ceremony. I tried to wake you, he said, but you were out like a light. She turned further away and swung her legs out on the other side of the bed. What's the matter? Guy asked. Nothing, she said, sitting there not looking around at him. I guess I feel funny about you are doing it that way with me unconscious. I did not want to miss the baby night, he said. We could have done it this morning or tonight. Last night was not the only split second in the whole month and even if it, if it had been I thought you would have wanted me to he said and ran a finger up her back she squirmed away from it it's supposed to be shared not one awake and one's asleep she said then oh i guess i'm being silly she got up and went to the closet for her house coat i'm sorry i scratched you guy said i was a wee bit loaded myself she made breakfast and when guy had gone did the sink full of dishes and put the kitchen to rights <clears throat> she opened windows in the living room and bedroom the smell of last night's fire still lingered in the apartment made the bed and took a shower a long one first hot and then cold she stood capless and immobile under the downpour waiting for her head to clear and her thought to find an order and conclusion Had last night really been as Guy had put it, baby night? Was she now at this moment actually pregnant? Oddly enough, she did not care. She was unhappy whether or not it was 
silly to be so. Guy had taken her without her knowledge, had made love to her as a mindless body, kind of fun in a necrophile sort of way, rather than as the complete mind and body person she was, and had done so moreover with a savage gusto that had produced scratches, etching soreness, and a nightmare so real and intense that she could almost see on her stomach the designs Roman had drawn with his red-dipped wind. She scrubbed soap on herself vigorously, resentfully. True, he had done it for the best motive in the world, to make a baby, and true, too, he had drunk as much as she had, but she wished that no motive and no number of drinks could have enabled him to take her that way, taking only her body without her soul or self or sheerness, whether it was he presumably loved. Now looking back over the past weeks and months, she felt a disturbing presence of overlooked signal just beyond memory, signals of a shortcoming in his love for her, of a disparity between what he said and what he felt. He was an actor, could anyone knew when an actor was true and not acting? It would take more than a shower to wash away these thoughts. She turned the water off and between both hands pressed out her streaming hair. On the way out to shop, she rang the Castivity's doorbell and returned the cups from the mose. Did you like it, dear? Minnie asked. I think I put a little too much cream de coca in it. It was delicious, Rosemary said. You will have to give me the recipe. I would love to. You are going marketing? Would you do me a teeny favor? Six eggs and a small incense sanka. I will pay you later. I hate going out for just one or two things, don't you? There was distance now between her and Guy. But he seems not to be aware of it. His play was going into rehearsal, November 1st, Don't I Know You From Somewhere was the name of it and he spent a great deal of time studying his part, practicing the use of the crutches and leg braces it called for and visiting the high bridge section of the Bronx, the place local. They had dinner with friends more evenings than not. When they did not, they made natural sounding conversation about furniture and the ending any day now newspaper strike and the world series. They went to a preview of a new musical and a screening of a new movie, two parties and the opening of a friend's exhibit of metal constructions. Guys seemed never to be looking at her, always at a script or TV or at someone else. He was in bed and asleep before she was. One evening, he went to the festivities to hear more of Roman's theatre stories and she stayed in the apartment and watched Funny Face on TV. Don't you think we ought to talk about it? She said the next morning at breakfast. About what? She looked at him. He seemed genuinely unknowing. The conversation we have been making, she said. What do you mean? The way you have not been looking at me? What are you talking about? I have been looking at you. No, you have not. I have so, honey. What is it? What's the matter? Nothing. Never mind. No, don't say that. What is it? What's bothering you? Nothing. Oh, look, honey. I know I have been kind of preoccupied with the part and the crutches and all. Is that it? Well, gee, whiz. it's important, you know. But it does not mean I don't love you just because I'm not reviting you with a passionate gaze all the time. I have got to think about practical matters too. It was awkward and charming and sincere like his playing of the cowboy in bus stop. Alright, Rosemary said, I'm sorry I'm being pasty. You? You could not be pasty if you tried. He leaned across the table and kissed her. 
Hutch had a cabin near Bristol where he spent occasional weekends. Rosemary called him and asked if she might use it for three or four days, possibly a week. Guy is getting into his new part, she explained, and I really think it will be easier for him with me out of the way. It is yours, Hutch said, and Rosemary went down to his apartment on Lexington Avenue and 24th Street to pick up the key. She looked in first at a Delixton where the clerks were friends from her own days in the neighborhood and then she went up to Hutt's apartment which was small and dark and neat as a pin with an inscribed photo of Winston Churchill and a sofa that had belonged to Madame Pompadour. Hutch was sitting barefoot between two bridge tables, each with its typewriters and piles of paper. His practice was to write two books at once, turning to the second when he struck a snag on the first and back to the first when he struck a snag on the second. I'm really looking forward to it, Rosemary said, sitting on Madame Pompadour's sofa. I suddenly realized the other day that I have never been alone in my whole life, not for more than a few hours, that is. The idea of three or more days heaven. A chance to sit quietly and find out who you are, where you have been and where you are going. Exactly. Alright, you can stop forcing that smile, has said. Did he hit you with a lamp? He did not hit me with everything, Rosemary said. Or anything. It's very difficult part. A crippled boy who pretends that he is adjusted to his crippledness. He's got to work with crutches and leg braces and naturally he is preoccupied and well preoccupied. I see, Hutch said. We will change the subject. The news had a lovely rundown the other day of all the gore we missed during the strike. Why did not you tell me you, you would head another suicide up there at Happy House? Oh, did not I tell you? Rosemary asked. No, you did not, Hutch said. It was someone we knew, the girl I told you about, the one who had been a drug addict and was rehabilitated by the festivities, these people who live on our floor, I'm sure I told you that. The girl who was going to the basement with you, that's right. They did not rehabilitate her very successfully, it would seem. Was she living with them? Yeah, Rosemary said. We have gotten to know them fairly well since it happened. Guy goes over there once in a while to hear stories about the theatre. Mr. Castivit's father was a producer around the turn of the century. I should not have thought Guy would be interested, had said. An elderly couple, I take it. He is 79, she is 70 or so. It is an odd name, had said. How is it spelled? Rosemary spelled it for him. I had never heard, heard it before, he said. French, I suppose. The name may be, but they are not, Rosemary said. He is from right here and she is from a place called, believe it or not, Bushehead, Oklahoma. My God, Hutch said, I am going to use that in a book. That one, I knew just where to put it. Tell me, how are you planning to get to the cabin? You will need a car, you know? I am going to rent one. Take mine. Oh no, Hutch, I could not. Do please, Hutch said. All I do is move it from one side to the street to the other. Please, you will save me a great deal of bother. Rosemary smiled. All right, she said. I will do you a favor and take your car. Hutch gave her the keys to the car and the cabin, a sketch map of the route and a typed list of instructions concerning the pump, the refrigerator and a variety of possible emergencies. Then he put on shoes and a coat and bowed her down to wear the car, an old light blue Oldsmobile was parked. 
the registration paper are in the glow compartment he said please feel free to stay as long as you like i have no immediate plans for either the car or the cabin i'm sure i won't stay more than a week rosemary said guy might not even want me to stay that long when she was settled in the car hutch leaned in at the window and said i have all kinds of good advice to give you but i'm going to mind my own business if it kills me Rosemary kissed him. Thank you, she said, for that and for this and for everything. She left on the morning of Saturday, October 16, and stayed five days at the cabin. The first two days, she never once thought about Guy, a fitting revenge for the cheerfulness with which he had agreed to her going. Did she look as if she needed a good rest? Very well, she would have one, a long one. Never once thinking about him. She took walks through dazzling yellow and orange woods, went to sleep early and slept late, read Flight of the Falcon by Daphne to Marrier, and made gluten's meals on the bottled gas stove, never once thinking about him. On the third day, she thought about him. He was vain, self-centered, shallow, and deceitful. He had married her to have an audience, not a mate. Little Miss just out of Omaha, but a goop she had been. Oh, I'm used to actors. I have been here almost a year now. And she had all but followed him around the studio, carrying his newspaper in her mouth. She would give him a year to shape up and become a good husband. If he did not make it, she would pull out, and with no religious qualms whatever. And meanwhile, she would go back to work and get again that sense of independence and self-sufficiency she had been so eager to get rid of. She would be strong and proud and ready to go if he failed to meet her standards. Those gluten's meals, man-sized cans of beef stew, and chili corn carne began to disagree with her. On that and on that third day, she was mildly nauseated and could eat only soup and crackers. On the fourth day, she awoke missing him and cried. What was she doing there alone in that cold, crummy cabin? What had he done that was so terrible? He had gotten drunk and had grabbed her without saying me I. Well, that was really an earth-shaking offense. Now was not it? There he was facing the biggest challenge of his career and she, instead of being there to help him, to cure and encourage him, was off in the middle of nowhere, getting herself sick and feeling sorry for herself. Sure, he was vain and self-centered. He was an actor, was not he? Lawrence Olivier was probably vain and self-centered. And yes, he might lie now and then. Was not that exactly what had attracted her and still did that freedom and non-calence so different from her own boxed in propriety? She drove into Brewster and called him. Service answered, the friendly one, Oh, hi, dear. Are you back from the country? Oh, guy is out, dear. Can he call you? You will call him at five, right? You have certainly got lovely weather. Are you enjoying yourself? Good. At five, he was still out, her message waiting for him. She ate in a dinner and went to the one movie theater. At nine, he was still out and service was someone new and automatic with a message for her. She should call him before eight the next morning or after six in the evening. That next day, she reached what seemed like a sensible and realistic view of things. They were both at fault, he for being thoughtless and self-absorbed, she for failing to express and explain her discontent. He could hardly be expected to change until she showed him that change was called for. She had only to talk, no, they had only to talk, 
for he might be harboring a similar discontent of which she was similarly unaware and matters could not help but improve like so many many unhappiness this one had begun with silence in place of honest open talk she went into brister at 6 and called and he was there hi darling he said how are you fine how are you all right i miss you she smiled at the phone i miss you she said i'm coming home tomorrow good that's great he said all kinds of thing have been going on here rehearsals have been postponed until january oh they have not been able to cast the little girl it is a break for me though i am going to do a pilot next month a half hour comedy series you are it fell into my lap bro and it really looks good abc loves the idea it is called greenwich village it's going to be filmed there and i am a way out writer it's practically the lead that's marvelous guy ellen says i am suddenly very hot that's wonderful Listen I have got to shower and shave he is taking me to a screening that Stanley Kubrick is going to be at when are you going to get in around noon maybe earlier i will be waiting love you love you she called hutch who was out and left word with his service that she would return the car the following afternoon the next morning she cleaned the cabin closed it up and locked it and drove back to the city traffic on the sawmill river parkway was bottlenecked by a three car collision and it was close to 1 o'clock when she parked the car half in half out of the bus stop in front of the Bramford with her small suitcase she hurried into the house the elevator man had not taken guy down but she had been off duty from 11:15 to 12 he was there though the no strings album was playing she opened her mouth to call and he came out of the bedroom in a fresh shirt and tie headed for the kitchen with a used coffee cup in his hand they kissed lovingly and fully he hugging her one armed because of the cup have a good time he asked terrible away full i missed you so much how are you fine how was stanley kubrick did not show the fink they kissed again she brought her suitcase into the bedroom and opened it on the bed He came in with two cups of coffee gave her one and sat on the vanity bench while she unpacked she told him about the yellow and orange woods and the still nights he told her about greenwich village who else was in it and who the producers writers and director were are you really fine he asked when she was zipping close the empty case she did not understand your period he said it was due on tuesday it was he nodded Well, it's just two days," she said, matter-of-factly, as if her heart was not racing, leaping. "It's probably the change of water or the food I ate up there. You have never been late before," he said. "It will probably come tonight or tomorrow. You want to bet? Yes, a quarter. Okay. You are going to lose, Ro. Shut up. You are getting me all jumpy. It's only two days. It will probably come tonight. Thank you for joining me."